Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Uh, whenever you're watching this, welcome. My name's Josh Cowan, and uh, my wife and I, and along with our two boys now, we've been coming to Grace for nine years. And it's my privilege to share with you today some of the things God's been teaching me, some of the things he's put on my heart to share with you. And, you know, giving, giving a sermon is new for me. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm used to small groups, I'm used to two-way dialogue on uh, looking at God's word and, and bringing it together. So, you know, I encourage you as we go through this and you come out of it to take the time to explore it yourself as well. Talk to other people about it. And my hope today is that you would be encouraged and you would be challenged to grow as a church in love. From our scripture passages today, I believe it's clear that as we spend more time on our knees in prayer, in scripture, and in using the gifts that God has given us, that we will grow in love and in confidence in Christ and see God build his church in ways that we can't imagine in our own wisdom and strength. I want to just open in prayer. Thanks. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would challenge us, you would encourage us, and you would make your word fruitful, Lord, in our lives. Help us to grow as a church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to take us on a journey to explore what is the church? What's the purpose of the church? What does it look like to be the church and to grow together in maturity? It's something I've been grappling with over the last while and I think it's really important for us as a church to understand this, especially as we go through the current period of transition and refocusing at Grace. And as we slowly come out of a pandemic that's turned everything upside down over the last year and a half. We're going to explore these questions using the core passage in Ephesians 4 and several supporting passages as well. So I'm going to start by reading Ephesians chapter 4 verses 7 and 11 to 16. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the first thing to look at is what is the church, as referred to in Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. The Greek word for church here is ekklesia, which means a, a called out assembly. It's a group of people that has a purpose. A, they're called out for something. 
It's all of God's people who've been saved through repentance and faith in Christ. It's not just limited to Grace Community Church, but it's all of God's people, and grace is one part of that. And in verse 15, it defines it as a body with Christ as its head. So considering who we are as a church and what the purpose of the church, sorry, what is the purpose of the church? Working the way that it was designed. So from Ephesians 4, we discover that the purpose of the church working together with Christ as its head is fourfold. In verse 12, it's to equip all of us for works of service. In verse 13, to build up the body of Christ into unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. In verse 15, it's to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. And in verse 16, to ultimately grow and build itself up in love as each part does its work. So let's look at each of these purposes individually. The first purpose is to equip. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about every believer being created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. The church gives us the context and the room to prepare for carrying out those works. The second purpose is to reach unity. Our shared faith and source of salvation is what unifies us. Regardless of our diverse backgrounds and experiences, the truth of the gospel doesn't change. We can become united as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, humbly growing together in faith and in knowledge of Jesus. The third purpose is to mature. As we learn and grow together in the truth, putting what we know into practice, we mature into a closer likeness of Christ. With maturity comes a confidence and a trust in Christ alone that cannot easily be shaken. I think of the passage where it talks about the wise man who built his house on a rock so that when the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. And the fourth purpose is to grow in love. There is no genuine Christian maturity without the outward manifestation of love. In John 13, 35, it says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone, beyond the church even. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Looking at all of these, all of the purposes have to do with a trajectory of growth and maturation. The church is not designed to be stagnant, but actively maturing, and this means changes in each one of us. Next, I wanna look at how does the church relate to Christ? The first observation is that Christ is the ultimate source of everything that builds up the church. He equips the church, he makes it grow and mature. 
in verse 7 in our passage. It says, grace has been given us by Christ for the building up of the church. It's a gift from him. Verse 11 starts with the words, Christ himself gave. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And again in verse 16, it says, From him the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The church was initiated with Christ and it is through his equipping of leaders and in fact all parts of the body that the church is able to be built up in faith, hope, and love. Another observation in verse 15, it says that Christ is the head of the church. And we all know that the head is a really important part of the body. Let's look at that illustration a little bit. You've got a head, it's attached to the body. It's not separate. It doesn't just occasionally interact with the body. It has ongoing active connections to every part of the body, not just a few. And the brain is a control center of the body. All the directions for what the body does come from the brain. The nervous system sends the brain's directions through the entire body right to the tips of the fingers and the toes. The head even directs the other parts of the body to feed the body, to breathe in the oxygen that the body needs, and to move the body in the direction that it needs to go. And not only does it give directions, but the brain also knows what the rest of the body is experiencing. It perceives its pain and its pleasure intimately. No part of the body can survive or do anything useful without the head. And as a church, we cannot expect to accomplish anything significant without relying on God's direction and provision either. Consider the following verses in John 15, 5. This was talked about a bit last week as well, but I, it says, I, referring to Christ Jesus, am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. The fruit here being the good that develops out of a relationship with God. And we will not bear that fruit if we're not connected to the vine or the head, to go back to that body analogy. In 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 4 to 9, Paul clearly identifies the utmost importance of the head relative to the rest of the body when addressing quarrels within the Corinthian church. People were taking sides between two human leaders, Paul and Apollos. And Paul here is one who written much of the New Testament for us. It says, for when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. 
Likewise, it's important for us to note that as Christ leads us as head, the way by which he will make his church grow may look different than we expect. Because God works differently than we do in his infinite knowledge, wisdom, and strength. That's why we need to rely on him as head. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, we're reminded that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. When you look through all of scripture, what the will of God is often confounds our human logic and wisdom. Take one of the biggest examples with Jesus. While being in very nature God, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross to save sinners like you and me. Human logic and wisdom doesn't come up with this. But it's a brilliant solution to the human sin problem from a God who loves us perfectly. And this is what makes the good news of Jesus Christ so beautiful and powerful. The bottom line is that we cannot expect to mature in faith and love as a church through our own finite human wisdom and strength. We need to trust and rely on the direction and strength of the head. And we have this hope from God in the process. In James 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. In John 16, verse 13, the first part, it says, referencing the, the Spirit of God that now rely, resides in all believers, it says, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths straight. And Isaiah 40, verses 29 to 31 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. One final thing I'd like to say about Christ as head is this. Because Jesus Christ is God and not mere, a mere human, and because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the church has a leader who is eternally faithful, even when we are unfaithful. A leader who is wise, well beyond our understanding. A leader who's loving, even when we struggle with love. And a leader who is merciful, amid our struggles with sin. Christ sustains his church, no matter what difficulties it faces, and he never changes. Now, if that isn't encouraging in the midst of our weakness, I'm not sure what is. But we have hope. So let's regularly come before the head, before Christ, in humility, on our own and together, as a body, to seek him and to submit to his will for us. And the last question I want us to explore is, how are we to relate to one another as parts of the church? One observation from the text is that every part of the body has a role and it needs the other parts. The terms all parts or whole body show up throughout the Ephesians 4 passage. Each one of us has a unique part to play in the church's purpose, and we each need each other. Think about what the body is. A body is not a group of detached body parts. It's not a fusion of the same body part, but it's many diverse body parts all connected together and working together in unity. Every single believer is part of that body. 
Now let's look at a few passages of, about how Christ's body works together with its many parts. Start with Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, it says this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part's honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The last few verses tell us something very important about the church body. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. This approach isn't our natural tendency. By nature, we tend to pay attention more to the certain parts of our physical body over other things like abs or legs or what have you. In the same way, our culture tends to hold in higher regard people who are in prominent positions or who may fit a certain look or a personality. But God's design for the church is different. People who might not fit that mold or may not have a prominent position are just as vital to the church's purpose, similar to the way that our toes are crucial for our entire body's balance, even though we may rarely give them much thought. As a bit of a sideline, you know, learning to grow in unity and maturity and love as a body 
can be messy. It often feels like a two steps forward, one step back process as our sinful nature battles against our desire to follow Christ. It's frustrating, but it's a frequent reminder of our dependency on Jesus. Paul explains this challenge in Romans 7, verses 21 to 25. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's one particular life moment seared in my mind from university days. I was at a retreat in New Brunswick at the University Christian Fellowship, and someone very different from me was really getting on my nerves. Um, I didn't want to have anything to do with them at the time. I thought, you know, it was that person's problem, and I wrestled with God about that that night. And God used that circumstance to teach me something. He showed me that I needed to change my attitude. I remember asking God for help, and he had completely changed my perspective that following day. Nothing changed with that other person, but God changed me in a way that I won't forget. And he used the proximity of somebody very different from me to change my own attitude. It wasn't comfortable because it revealed sin in my own life. But God works that way. And he brings beauty out of something that's broken. Our dependency on Jesus is paramount. When we find ourselves struggling with love, his salvation and forgiveness is what gives us the ability to get back up on our feet and continue growing in love. And since we're in such close quarters as a church, there's also a clear call in scripture to extend grace to one another when we struggle. In the same way that Christ extends it to us. We don't always know what each other is going through. And Paul elaborates on this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So back to the main question of how we relate to one another in the church. We're designed to need each other in the church with all of our unique and diverse backgrounds, current contexts, and roles. God uses each of us to help each other grow in maturity. And when I think about my own journey of faith over the years, I can see how God has used diversity in the church to encourage my faith and growth and love. And one group I'm most grateful for recently is the group of guys and our Monday night small group. And I'm glad to have a couple of you here to, to join us. There's nothing remarkable about us. You know, I, I kind of describe us as a bunch of broken guys learning to walk with Jesus together. L learning what scripture says, learning to pray for one another. We come from all sorts of backgrounds, but God's the one who unifies us. And I'm continually amazed at the things that God teaches us on those Monday nights as we share and grow together and pray for one another. I can also think of many others who've had an impact on me. I think of new believers that I've met and seasoned believers who've grown in their faith over many decades. 
I think of the very visible pastors and teachers I've had over the years and the people who've served faithfully behind the scenes in the church, almost unnoticed. Those who've gone through poverty and persecution and those who've grown up well-to-do and in relative safety. All of them have had a role to play in my faith and growth and love. There's a song from the band Casting Crowns called A City on a Hill. And it's stuck with Christy and I over the years since its release. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he referred to his church as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, a source of light to the world for God's glory. The Casting Crowns song was inspired by the 1 Corinthians 12 passage that I read earlier. Frontman Mark Hall described the song as an allegory of the factions of the modern church, the result of predominantly like-minded people often dwelling upon non-essentials and personal taste to go their own direction. It's both a warning and a reminder as the church learns to grow together in love as one body. I'd like to share some of the lyrics with you. Did you hear of the city on the hill, said one old man to the other. It once shined bright and it would be shining still, but they all started turning on each other. You see, the poets thought the dancers were shallow and the soldiers thought the poets were weak. And the elders saw the young ones as foolish and the rich man never heard the poor man speak. Each one thought that they knew better, but they were different by design. Instead of standing strong together, they let their differences divide. But it was the rhythm of the dancers that gave the poets life. It was the spirit of the poets that gave the soldiers strength to fight. It was the fire of the young ones. It was the wisdom of the old. It was the story of the poor man that needed to be told. All parts of the body are important and we're not all the same. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and stay close to him. Christ brings us together in our diversity and makes us beautiful as a church as we grow up in love. So to recap the main points from Ephesians 4, the first one is that the church is a called out assembly of all of God's people who've been saved through repentance and faith in Christ. The purpose of the church is to equip its people for works of service, to grow in unity, in the faith and knowledge of Christ, and to grow and build itself up in love. Thirdly, Christ is the ultimate source of everything that builds up the church. Fourth, Christ is the head of the church. And fifth, every single believer has a role to play as part of the church. Given these points from Ephesians 4, I want to ask some questions for all of us to prayerfully consider, myself included. Since the head of the church is Christ, how is your connection to Christ for direction and sustenance? Are you seeking God's wisdom, direction, and provision direct from the source through prayer and scripture? None of this has to be eloquent before God. We stand before him solely based on Christ's finished work on the cross. So simply seek him where you're at, as he knows our hearts even better than we do. Regarding how we interact with one another, what role has God given you in the body that will help equip the church and build it up in Christ-like love? What parts of the body may need what God's given you to share in love? What parts of the body can you learn from that you may not have considered before?
So to wrap up for today, let's remember what the purpose of the church is and encourage one another to seek God's will together and carry out our roles as parts of the body, leaning heavily into Christ as head at all times. In this way, we can expect that grace will be equipped to do every good work that God has prepared for us to do and that we will grow in love and maturity together and it will, we will be that light shining on a hill. I leave you with Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that the things we've been learning tonight, Lord, you would have them take root in our hearts. You would teach us through them this week and in the times to come. I pray that you would build your church. Lord, that we would go to our knees to seek you, that you would guide us with all wisdom, that we would become a church that is that light, a light on a hill, more and more every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.